Hello and welcome back to Smiling in Hell 2.0, Life After Retirement and Then Some. I'm your host, Larry Peterson, regaling you with recordings of blog posts that I put together some time ago. So uh, although they may be dated, they're still as brilliant as always. And today's post actually is a memory of travels gone by. It's called um, The San Malo Knuckles of Valor. Um, chapter 17 or 18, I've lost count. Hard to believe, though, it's been that many. <clears throat> but the San Malo, Knuckles of Valor, and the following, it's true, true story to the best of my somewhat historically misaligned memory. The names haven't been changed to protect the innocent because none of us are. So if anyone sees themselves in the story, well, uh, yeah, that's what you get for being around when this all went down and just, just be fortunate. So as we continue smiling in the hell that is and was the current COVID environment, one of the more depressing side effects of the hoax-induced, I mean, of the rules, is the cutback in the amount of traveling folks were doing. It seems like over the past year and a half or so, while there are some who continue to ignore the, quote, facts and brave the Michael Crichton-inspired scary global personality by going on a trip, being able to take a trip, vacay, voyage, sojourn, etc., is a real blessing. And fortunately, I've been able uh, and been blessed to be able to travel quite a bit, especially in my younger days, uh, you know, before I gave up my amateur standing, took the leap to marriage, and especially to daddyhood, both of which I sincerely love. But in my youth, I was lucky enough to have a few good friends, I know that's hard to believe to begin with, but friends with whom I enjoyed some great travels to faraway places. Some of these trips, which we called untours, since only a portion of the itinerary was actually specifically planned, included adventures to climb the pyramid at uh, Chichen Itza, patronizing the oldest and then the sleaziest pubs in Shannon, Ireland, which I shared in an earlier uh, episode climbing to the top of Notre Dame, chatting with Anthony Hopkins on the streets in London, gambling along the cliffs of Moor in Ireland, and reverently strolling the beaches of Normandy in France, with numerous stops at Chateau and chapels along the way. It was on that wonderful sojourn in France with some of my Charlotte, North Carolina theater pals, their family and a traveling buddy of mine that included a champagne-filled birthday celebration at the Lido in Paris, a fantastic fresh-caught stream trout dinner at an inn in the Loire Valley, a gigantic freshly cooked crepe at the little village located on Mont Saint-Michel, a visit to the Cimetière Américain honoring the U.S. soldiers who fell on D-Day, and seeing the replica paratrooper some of you may remember red buttons from the longest day, who is still hanging from the steeple at the little chapel to remind us of the battle that occurred at San Mariglais on D-Day. All in all, quite moving, and I can wax sincere with the best of them when the occasion calls for it. One of the more interesting ports of call we enjoyed on our wanderings included a jaunt across a long causeway during low tide in order to reach the almost magical medieval walled city of Saint Malo. At the risk of sounding like a, a Rick Steves, who I really enjoy, travelogue, and thanks to some online resources, 
And Saint-Malo is a port city in the northwest French region of Brittany on the English Channel coast in France's northwest. Tall granite walls surround the old town. It was once a, a stronghold for privateers, you know, pirates approved by the king. And with a history dating back to the first century BC, Saint-Malo is as tumultuous as it is fascinating. It was founded by the Gauls. Some of you may have come across the comic book characters Asterix and Obelix. Don't you love my French? After run-ins with the Romans, and the city later became the notorious seat of the French corsairs, uh, legal pirates, by the way. And during World War II, Saint-Malo was heavily bombed because of its strategic location. But the internal or intramuros part of Saint-Malo, the old part fully surrounded by the sturdy ramparts and fortifications, <coughs> was immediately and faithfully restored with several good examples being the Saint-Malo Cathedral in the center of the old town. And it was built in Romanesque and Gothic styles and featured stained glass windows depicting city history. In other words, fascinating and a magical medieval locale. So, when after several long days of touring from Paris to Honfleur and through the Loire Valley, okay, it wasn't quite so hard for me since being on my special brand of vacation with no desire to do any of the driving, I was usually allowed to be the designated French hard cider tester. Thus, you would often find me enjoying the passing sights while sipping a sample of the local apple varietal as we traversed our way across the French countryside. Anyways, we crossed the main causeway through the old gate of the delightful walled city. We really didn't know where we were going to drop anchor for the night. But we had faith, and I had my two years of high school French and a handy French phrase book, so I knew we, we would be just fine. Thus, armed with those tools and a fresh bouteille de cider, in we charged. Now, the, the leader of our happy band of travelers, Mary, was a wonderful writer, actress, tour guide, who, along with her writer, director, actor, husband, Jack, who also did most of the driving, took care to see that the rest of the group, which included her mother, my traveling buddy, who will be known as Bubba, even though that's what he actually called me, and myself. And then we'd make sure that we'd had a place to lay our heads and that all were in the van when we took off every morning for points unknown. Well, once within the confines of the city, we drove around for a little while to get our bearings and, and scope out the hotels. And finally, we found ourselves back near the main gate and in front of the entrance to a charming place called the Hotel Elizabeth. With a stone exterior and almost Tudor style, we all agreed it looked pretty darn bon. So, as guide leader Mary prepared to go in and procure a room, I graciously offered the service of my mastery of the French tongue to assist in securing our accommodations for le nuit, for the night, right? <laughs> I mean, I was more than ready. After all, I had been practicing how to say, we would like three rooms for the night in French for well under 30 minutes with my best Louis Jordan lilt. So as the little bell over the door tinkled in a nice way with a French accent, the hotelier lady greeted us with a friendly bonjour. Mary and I responded with our bonjours and I let loose with my most glottal recitation of what if I recall went something like, uh, avez-vous trois chambres pour la nuit, s'il vous plaît? Like I said, masterful.
Well, Mary, as well as a hotelier, who reminded me a little of Nancy Culp, remember Miss Hathaway from the Beverly Hillbilly, had the typically lemony, friendly French demeanor reserved for us Americans, looked at me with much impressed surprise, and after a few moments, replied with a response so filled with a machine gun pastiche of so many unfamiliar and unrecognizable syllables that all I could do was, with a glazed expression on my face, conjure my best impression of Jackie Gleason going, uh, humana, humana, humana. The hotelier, being French, purely enjoyed seeing this American in distress and said with a sincerely but smirky smile, I speak English. To which Mary, my loving and supportive guide and friend, replied, and this is where we should have started. So after a brief tete-a-tete reminiscent of a United Nations parlay, we were presented with three keys to the Bastille and returned to the car with the good news that, yes, we would have beds on which to repair for the evening. Now, from this point, the details of the evening become a little hazy and reside in my memory more as a training montage from a Rocky movie than as a lucid and seamless train of images. I do recall that after we dropped our bags in our rooms, in which Bubba and I usually shared a room um, with two singles that was usually smaller than my wife's closet, freshened up a bit, which usually meant splashing a little cold water on our road dusty faces, fixing a quick aperitif from our traveling P's and Q's, that's uh, pints and quarts to use, and my checking my reflection for its potential appeal to whatever femme fatalities I may encounter along our way. Not that I could ever actually fool myself into thinking I would give Pierce Brosnan a run for his money. I usually accepted the fact that, in my younger days anyway, I was pretty cute for an ugly guy, and I was secure in that. So we all met in the lobby, hugged like we hadn't seen each other for years, and found a little bistro near the hotel to enjoy a French repast. And I'm sure it was absolutely great, but to be honest, that part of the evening is kind of a blur. Not that we'd been imbibing much up to then, but it was the later chapters in the evening that have been have affected the cognitiveosity of the earlier hours. I'm sure the dinner was très bien, I think. So after we ate, with Mary and her mom being a little pooped, it was decided that the girls would retire to their rooms for the evening since we had an early morning tour of a local champagne winery scheduled and so had an early call on tap. Heaven forbid that would prevent Jack, Bubba, and I, a.k.a. the Three Musketeers, uh, in fact, I spelled that Muscat-tears, um, from seeking adventures and danger in Saint-Malo, or at any rate, one or two nightcaps before Betty by. So bidding our fair damsels a night of sweet dreams, off we charge to slay dragons and bring Saint-Malo to its knees, which, as you'll soon find for me, was easier parlayed than done. And as we strolled the cobblestone streets, feeling a little like American GIs on leave after D-Day, we dove into a dark little bar and, being Americans, had a couple of shots at Jack Daniels. I mean, we're from the uh, U.S. of A., right? Which also meant that one stop was certainly not enough. So off we went to conquer other beaches and bunkers. Indestructible. Immortal. Imbecilic. 
Finally, after several more successful cafe invasions, Jack, being a little older and knowing that his duty was going to be required behind the wheel of our transport vehicle in the AM, decided to hit the bivouac for a couple of hours of shut-eye. So bidding our comrade-in-arms of Bon Voyage, Bubba and I, feeling little point pain at this point, decided well, one more wouldn't hurt. So we decided to find one more friendly innkeeper with whom to become best pals. Now, while we were wandering, we passed by the window of a brightly lit but fairly atmosphere-free bistro that normally wouldn't beckon the likes of a couple of rugged Americans, especially since we both knew that bright electric lights, especially anything related even distantly to the family fluorescent, did little to enhance our already mid-level score on the handsome meter. As we were about to tap dance like Gene Kelly past the big lighted window facing the avenue, my eyes caught the sight of a very attractive French femme sitting with another young lady at a table by the window. Now, in situations where my cognitive skills may be more than a little bent, thanks to the effects of some 80-proof friends, I often call on my good friend Dr. Bubba for a second opinion, 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 as I did this time. Bubby, I said, stopping him in mid-step. What? He replied, almost falling off the curb. Look, look at this girl in the bar. And tell me if she's as pretty as I think she is. Okay, he said. Which one? Shh, be subtle. It's the one at that table, I said, pointing. The one on the right or the left, he asked, which I thought was very insightful and an effort to avoid making what could be a fatal error in judgment. Your right or my left, I asked back. Uh, my right. I'm looking at the window he said, starting to list a little to starboard. Okay, it's the girl on the right side of the table if you're looking through the window on this side, I said, trying to be very clear. Which we are, right? He replied. I nodded, and he very stealthily, like a jungle cat, a very inebriated jungle cat, strolled casually past the window, casting a sly glance towards the table. He was a master, and it would have been perfect, that is, if he hadn't done it like four times before finally making his way casually back to where I was standing, just on the other side of the window. She's gorgeous, he confirmed. And with that ultimate confirmation, I decided to take a quick but subtle stroll past the window again, thinking that since it was only about the fourth or fifth time, she certainly wouldn't have noticed, right? As I walked past the window, I cast a casual glance through the window right at her, just as at that exact moment, she looked up right at me. Not knowing what else to do, I smiled at her and was amazed to see her smile back. I couldn't believe it. This cross between Audrey Hepburn and Lena Olin smiled at me. At least that's how I remember it, so take it with a grain of salt the size of a bowling ball. She smiled at you, Bubba said, holding up the building. You should talk in and go to her. I can't, I said, thinking that was exactly what I'd like to do. I mean, when in France, right? <laughs> Maybe she just has gas or something. Whatever, Bubba said, obviously seeing no additional benefit to him at playing this game much longer. 
I'll see you back at the room. Good like, Bubba. Oh, oh, yeah, I meant to say earlier that we called each other Bubba. So mustering as much of my stolid all-American boy courage and panache as I could, I swung through the door, took a quick squinty-eyed look around the room, Bogey would have been proud, and made a beeline right to uh, the bar on the other side of the room, as far away from her table as I could, where I found a waiting bartender for whom I ordered from whom I ordered one more. So as I made my order of Jack Daniels and ginger ale, hey, never mix, never worry, right? Which included a combination of English and drastically fractured French. A fellow sitting next to where I stood said, American? Caught a little off guard, I turned to see a fairly classy looking guy wearing what looked like an expensive suit and accompanied by a very attractive, exquisitely and fairly expensive looking blonde. Uh, yes, we, I said which despite the clumsy nature of the response, led to a rather delightful conversation with him and the lady who turned out to be his wife. Terry, as I learned was his name, spoke perfect English, thank God. And after a while, we really hit it off with the where are you from, what do you do, what brings you to San Malo, and other international visitor small talk. Finally, he asked what brought me into the bar, and I had to admit it was the stunning lady sitting with her friend at the table by the window. With that, I casually cocked my head in the direction of the girls who were still there. Oh, I know her, she said. She's a local girl, very nice. I'll bring her over and introduce you. Uh, gee, I don't know, I said. But by then, he had already caught their attention and waved them both over. Uh, before I knew... Uh, she was standing right next to me, exuding a strange but delightful combination of sophisticated sensual allure and small-town girl-next-door appeal. Of course, being the reader of all the James Bond books and a big Cary Grant fan, I handled it with amazing suaveness and class. In other words, I was struck dumb. Terry, sensing my terror, introduced me to this earthbound goddess, who I discovered was named... Uh, Okay, Nicole, I think, who knows. Uh, bonjour, I said. Oh, yeah, I thought, I got this. Uh, bonjour, she replied. Uh, Parlez-vous English? I asked, hoping that a big, fat answer to the affirmative would be sent back my way. No, she said with a shrug that made me very aware of my teeth. Vous êtes très jolie, I said, which of course means you're very pretty. I figured that since I knew at least that much, I might as well use it. Ah, merci, she replied, and I could tell I'd really touched her heart with my impeccable romantic nature, and I knew just what to say next. Vous êtes très jolie, I said again, looking around to see who could have said that before I realized that it was me. She smiled sweetly, which made me feel the insides of my shoes as she looked at her friend with a get-me-out-of-here look. About then, my new best friend Terry jumped in like a French paratrooper and said, uh, Larry's uh, an American. To which Nicole replied something that made the avalanche of French I had been buried under by the hotel manager seem like something out of fun with Dick and Jane. Fortunately, I had the perfect response. I just knew it would sweep her off her mademoiselle feet. Vous êtes jolie, I said with all the suavishness I could conjure, considering the number of Jack Daniels I had been introduced to throughout the evening. 
Obviously over-underwhelmed with my delightfully pithy and witty repartee, my newfound future ex-girlfriend and her buddy exchanged a variety of hand and eye gestures indicating the international symbols for typical American and made their way towards the door at the speed of sound. Well, I said to Terry, that went well. Terry, by this time, was probably also thinking typical American, graciously paid my bar tab, said his bon nuit, and handing me his card, which I think I still have, he and his wife made their way to the, at the speed of sound towards the door. Feeling my evening coming to an end and, and kicking my libido squarely in the, in, in the butt, I decided to make my way back towards the Hotel Elizabeth. But as I found myself back on the street, I realized I had given the little hotel card that had a map of the maze-like streets of San Malo to Bubba and had absolutely no idea where I was or which way to go. Great, I thought. Now I'm going to sleep on the street. Wandering around for a little while looking for a familiar landmark or street named to no avail, I noticed that most of the restaurants, bars, lights, shop lights had gone off and the street lights had come on. And remembering I don't speak French and certainly don't fight in a foreign language, I started getting nervous. Then I remembered that Saint Malo was a walled city and our hotel was just a block or two off the main gate where we came in. So I figured if I walked long enough in one direction, I'd come to the wall. Heck, I'd probably slam right into it. San Malo not being a very large place, I could follow it around to the main gate and work my way up to the hotel. Brilliant. So off I went and using my best Boy Scout skills of direction, okay, I never made it past Tenderfoot, but I found the wall, began following it around in a counterclockwise direction since I seemed to remember that being the closest way to the main gate or Grand Port as it was called. But it was dark. I was a little, little hot, loopy, and the cobblestone streets were not all that foot-friendly, so at one point in the evening, I took a fairly major misstep and did a jackknife dive right into the street, fists down. Oh, man, that hurt. As I laid there on my cobblestone mattress assessing the damage, I heard several pairs of feet walking towards me on the other side of the street. I sat up gingerly, just in time to see a familiar pair of female faces walk arm in arm, looking my way and giggling. Yet it was my former love of my life, Nicole and her friend from the bar, now almost painfully observing the Daffy American they had met earlier, laying on the street. God, I'm lucky. I mean, what are the odds? Well, considering it's me, pretty darn good. I waved sheepishly, muttered something like, I'm okay, just tripped over a stone, noticed they were already gone, and I was talking to myself. Probably okay, since they wouldn't have understood my English anyway. Luckily, though, I found I was only about a block away from the hotel and made my way to the room where, thanks to my falling all the way to the floor while trying to take off my jeans, I woke up Bubba from a sound sleep. You okay? He mumbled as he fell back to sleep before I could even answer. Yeah, just peachy. And with that, I crawled into my matchbox size bed and attacked sleep like a ninja. Come on, Bubba, we gotta go. Van leaves in like five minutes. So it was the next morning, and my earnest and erstwhile roomie was trying desperately to haul my butt out of a sound sleep of one who has enjoyed far more fruit of the grape, or in this case, the cask, than he should have. I'm up. I croaked, hearing the voice come out of my throat that sounded like a cross between Mom's Mabley and Godzilla. Well, you better be. Mary's given us a stink eye. I'll be right down, I groaned, and crawled myself shakily up from the tiny bed, splashed a little cold water over my face, and ran a toothpaste 
toothbrush over a couple of teeth and threw on some clothes from the night before. I made my way down into the parking lot where Mary was tapping her foot and checking her watch. We're about to leave you two. Good time last night? Sorry, I replied. Yeah, I guess so. Kind of a blur. Kind of a blue blur. Oh my God, she then said, looking at my hands as I pulled my suitcase up to the van. What the heck happened to your hands? Not knowing what she was talking about, I glanced down at my hands and looked at them for the first time. What I saw was a set of knuckles that looked like I'd been, like Rocky, punching frozen raw meat all night. They were torn, bruised, semi-shredded, and looked like a little like pulled pork. Gee, I said, looking at them, uh, like I j j just walked out of a spaceship. I think I must have fallen down last night on the way back to the hotel. Don't hurt, though, I said, throwing my bags in the van. Well, here, put some of this on them, said Mary, handing me a small container of antiseptic ointment, and try not to get blood on the van. It's a rental. Bubble looked over at me as I performed minor medical care on my hands and shook his head. How'd you do after I left? Shaking my head, I held up my damaged hands and said, this answer your question? And with that, I proceeded to share the whole hair-raising scenario from the previous night with the, him and the rest of the team of the van, all of whom thought it was pretty darn funny. Well, you certainly earned your medals last night, Bubba said, laughing. What do you mean? I asked, staring out the window. At that point, Mary turned around from her vantage point in the co-pilot's chair, took one more look at my hands, and softly said, Tonight, in recognition of your fearless quest, we officially bequeath thee with the honor of the Saint Malo Knuckles of Valor. Amen, laughed the rest of the gang. I quietly accepted their good-natured toast, studied my well-earned trophies, and sipped the remnants from a bottle of cider I had found under the seat earlier, uh, strictly for medicinal purposes, of course. Well, I know that was a long one, but thank you for listening to Smiling in Hell 2.0, Life After Retirement and Then Some. We'll be back shortly with another episode. In the meantime, have a great day.